are listening to First Church Charlotte. Amen, amen. God bless you all. What a, a joy to be in the presence of the Lord. If, if you have not yet kind of got beyond your, yourself and focused your attention on God, I want to remind you that He's been so good to you. And he has blessed you so abundantly that it's just the appropriate thing to do on the first day of the week to stand in his presence and say, Lord Jesus, I want to glorify you for all that you have done in my life. Anyone feel that way here today? I want to thank you, God, for your many blessings to me. You loved us. You included us. And we bless your name uh, today. Amen. Praise the Lord, First Church. Oh, we could do better than that. Praise the Lord, First Church. Amen. I want to say thank you to all those of you joining us online right now. Wherever you're watching this from, whatever, whether you're sitting in your kitchen at your table, whether you're sitting at your desk or leaning back on your couch, I want to say, first of all, uh, enjoy those pajamas that you're still in. They're very comfortable. My suit is not as comfortable as your pajamas, uh, but I'm glad you're watching. We're glad you're here. Church, let's give everyone joining us online a hand. We thank you all. We welcome you. We're glad you're here. Amen. I am preaching today from this subject, interrupted by the cross, interrupted by the cross. I'm going to, first of all, introduce you to some spiritual ideas, uh, some places of scripture, and then I'm going to invite you to consider uh, what we can learn from those things and how we can grow. And so let me start at the very beginning, since we're at the beginning, let's start at the very beginning. And I want to remind you of how in the story of the Garden of Eden, uh, there seems to have been a change after Eve and Adam have fallen in sin. Um, if you look at the text, now we're, we're given insight into the state of the creation through a story. We're told a story, um, and this story doesn't tell us all the details we might like to know, right? I mean, there's any number of details we would like to know, uh, but it doesn't do that. What it does is it gives us the structure of something that can tell us everything we need to know, not everything we want to know. Y'all know the difference between what you need to know and what you want to know? Uh, yeah, that's very much a part of uh, Genesis. And it seems as though if we understand the, the story, and I believe we do, that before the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, uh, or if you want to think theologically, before they rebelled against what God had given them and the kind of life God had placed them in, um, they had regular times of meeting with the Lord. Uh, the Bible gives us this image of Adam and Eve spending time with the Lord in the cool of the day. Um, that's either early in the morning 
when you wake up. Now, I know none of these beautiful young people sitting on the front row here who it's my privilege to spend a few minutes talking to you guys. Um, None of you guys see the cool of the day early in the morning. You all see the cool of the day late in the afternoon. Uh, I I totally understand. Uh, When I was a teenager, I didn't see the cool of the day early. But when you get old, like your parents, uh, you'll wake up early and you'll be mad about it. So you'll go ahead and get up. And uh, you'll drink your coffee in the cool of the day. Now, Adam and Eve, they actually communed with the Lord early in the morning, late in the evening. And it was a regular thing. It, it was something that it fit the structure and the tempo of their lives. After sin, however, when God shows up, it's always an interruption. It's almost as though God is breaking through resistance, uh, breaking through all of their plans. And if you go in the word of the Lord, really through all of the scriptures, through all of the books of the Bible, you'll see this image again and again of Jesus almost surprising people. All right, let me restate that. The Lord surprising people, uh, whether or not it is, say, Abraham, uh, and a voice speaks to him and invites him to live a life of faith. Uh, There was no appointment made. They weren't already hanging out, do you understand? Uh, It's almost as though it's uh, interruption in Abraham's life. And then Abraham has to decide whether or not he can be a person of faith. This is something all of us do, because even today, when we serve the Lord, faith is required of us. Um, The Lord chooses not to reveal himself in a manner where we can do science on God. (laughs) He does not jump at our command, therefore it's difficult to do uh, repeatable observations of God. Uh, He's given us natural law for repeatable observations. Uh, We call it physics. Um, But in his presence, uh, in the demonstration of his nature and his essence, not natural law, we only see that through faith. And so the challenge for us, just like for Abraham, is to answer this question, can we be people of faith? Yes, the Lord speaks to us. Yes, we feel his presence in our life. And then, like Abraham, we decide whether or not we can be an individual of faith. Uh, Or moving to another story, uh, it may be Moses. And he is in this wilderness and he thinks he's alone, but God surprises him. And on the horizon, there is this sign of divinity, a bush that is burning and is not consumed. Uh, There's not an appointment made. It's a surprise. Or even if you're, say, Gideon and you're a fearful soldier and you're hiding, you are hiding from the enemy and the angel of the Lord interrupts you and says, "Um, (laughs) oh, mighty man of valor. And you're like. Is there anybody else here? Um, I'm hiding. Um, This is the continual, uh, as it were, breaking through of heaven to the earth. Now, before the fall, it was natural for them to spend time together daily. After the fall, the Lord is showing up saying, where are you? And we are hiding from him. All right, so if we look... If we look at Luke chapter number 23, there is, in this, in this chapter of the Bible, there is the beautiful story and tragic story of Jesus bearing our sins in his body 
through the cross. Um, that's Luke chapter number 23. This is the story of uh, the crucifixion of, of our Lord. Uh, and so many times we read it, and that's pretty much what we focus on, but we forget, I often forget, there are two other stories told in Luke chapter number 23 of two other individuals whose lives are interrupted by the cross. They didn't have plans. They didn't expect this, but they are interrupted by the cross. The first story is the story, well, actually, I'm going to tell the stories in reverse order. Uh, the first story is of Barabbas, and the second story is of Simon uh, the Cyrene, Renian. Uh, he is uh, the example, as it were, of somebody who is surprised by uh, the cross. So let's start first in reverse order and talk about uh, Simon and see him as a tourist. Now, si Simon doesn't live in Jerusalem where the Passover is being celebrated at the temple. Simon lives in North Africa on the coast of modern-day Libya, and that's where the city Cyrene is. And he probably has saved money for a very long time to actually be able to afford a pilgrimage to Jerusalem uh, to be a part of this big uh, religious celebration. Uh, most Jews would save for many years if they didn't live nearby. They would save for many years to be able to afford this trip. Now, for us, what do we do? We get a plane ticket. Uh, we hop on a plane. We go. Uh, we're there three days. We get on a plane. We come back. No big deal. We miss one week of work. Uh, that wasn't how it was for them. It would take them weeks to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. It would be like taking months off of your work, months off of your business. And so for them to do it, they had to make an effort to do it. Now, most of us would love to take a sabbatical of sorts and uh, spend two or three weeks um, in Tahiti. I, I know that I'm waiting for you guys to send me to Tahiti for two or three months as soon as possible. How about next week? We all of us would love to do that, but it's really hard. Why? It's expensive. It takes time. You have to plan for it. This is what Simon has had to do in order to be a part of the holiday the Passover holiday in Jerusalem. It's not as though, now we take all this for granted for us, you know, uh, if we were back then, we'd type hashtag, you know, Passover celebration, and that would link us to all the social media, and that would link us to all the videos, and we'd go to YouTube, and we would just kind of sit back at the house like some of you guys are right now, and be a part of the Passover celebration. That's not what Simon has the option of doing. So imagine yourself as a tourist, and here you are going to visit Jerusalem. Here you are. You're going to uh, see this city. Perhaps you've never been there. Very probably, Simon had never been there. He He's thought a lot about it. He's visited it in his mind. He's imagined what it's like. And so finally, after all this planning, all this saving of money, what does he do? He, you know, gets out of the ship. It would have been almost impossible to make an overland journey uh, without tremendous risks. It would have taken a lot longer. Um, uh, he almost assuredly took a merchant vessel to, to the port there. And from the port, he climbs the road up into Jerusalem. And can you imagine visiting a city you've always wanted to visit? It, you know, I always wanted to go to Rome or Paris, Paris, or I've always wanted to go. You get the idea. And he's finally able to go and he's looking around and he's walking into the city and he knows how he's imagined it. 
And perhaps he's seen paintings of it, and perhaps uh, he's had someone describe it to him, but now, fresh eyes. He's seeing it for the first time, and he thinks what he is doing is being a part of a Passover celebration. He thinks this is his pilgrimage. Took a lot of money, took a lot of planning, but here he is. All this effort, he's here, and he's looking around, and he is interrupted in his tourist journey by this procession that is proceeding toward him. And it's a strange possess, uh, procession. Why? Because it's led by Roman soldiers, but there's more Jews there than Romans. Think about this. There's more Jews than Romans. Now, crucifixion is what Rome did to rebels. So it was really... Uh, a, a death for a rebel, people who rebelled against Rome. Uh, it was not done against Roman citizens. Uh, it would have been considered uncivilized to do to civilized people. It was the death of a rebel. One of the reasons why Jesus died the death of the cross is because we rebelled against God and we were the rebels and Christ was dying to pay our debt. And so this Session is coming toward Simon, and it's strange because there is this range of emotions being demonstrated by the people. On one hand, there are people who are angry and they're shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. Sounds like a modern political protest. You have people on one side, they're saying, Do this. You have people on the other side, they're saying, Don't do that. Uh, this is what it feels like in the also in this procession, there's people who are weeping and they're crying and they're, uh, they're, they're uh, angry, but in a sad way. And then there's people uh, who are religious and religious people don't come to crucifixions. Something is going on here that is strange and different. And Simon, he's just trying to celebrate the Passover, this lifelong desire for this, as it were, um, the pilgrimage to the holy city. And here comes this procession, and he sees as one of the condemned men is much more bloody than the rest of them. Jesus has been beaten and scourged, and he's been beaten with a cat of nine tails. Uh, he has been beaten with rods. His face is black and blue. He, unlike the others, has a crown of thorns pressed down into his scalp, and so uh, literally the blood of those those punctures are bleeding down on his face. And here is Simon. He didn't sign up for this. This is a tragic, terrible interruption in his life. And here comes Jesus until not too far away from Simon, Jesus collapses. He has been kept up all night long. He has been beaten. He has been bleeding for hours. Bleeding causes tremendous dehydration. Uh, your body needs to replace fluids. And the thirst becomes its own form of torture torture and as you need water you get weaker and weaker and Jesus can't carry the cross and he falls and one of the Roman soldiers he doesn't care that Simon is on a pilgrimage he doesn't care that he's a tourist here to visit the Roman soldier grabs him and shows him under the cross of Jesus and says you carry his cross that's how Simon meets Jesus that's a beginning a divine interruption Simon's life is interrupted by the cross. This isn't the end of Simon's story. Uh, Simon, uh, I will 
uh, tell you what happened, and then I'll tell you how we know it. Uh, Simon was in some way moved by Jesus. He was now in some way interested to know more about Jesus. I hope in our lives we don't lose an interest for the things of God. I hope in our life there is some part of us that desires to be spiritual people. We desire to touch the face of God. We, we desire to stand in his presence. We desire to be a part of his kingdom here on earth. And the interest of Simon is piqued. And he, he, who is this man and what's going on here? Now, uh, we know through the gospel of Mark that the sons of Simon whose names were Alexander and Rufus, were very well known in the New Testament church. And when Mark writes his gospel, he actually greets them and tells the readers of the gospel uh, that they are the sons of Simon the Cyrene. Uh, What has happened here is Simon is introduced to who Jesus is. Simon is interrupted by the cross. And then as he learns more about Jesus, he becomes a believer. And more than a believer that when we become believers, it's not just a blessing to us. It's a blessing to our whole household. Let me just say to any of our young people, if you have the honor of growing up in a Christian home, you may not appreciate it now because you know you're not really at that stage of life. And I understand I've been young too, but I want you to see the blessing that is in your life to have God-fearing parents who pray over you, who bring you to the house of the Lord, who encourage you to learn how to pray. It is a blessing. Let me just have everyone who was raised by a Christian parent say amen really loud. It is a blessing. And the blessings of this divine interruption does not end with Simon, but his sons become notable, celebrated Christians in the New Testament church. Yes, Simon didn't know anything about Jesus. Yes, Simon lived a thousand miles away. Yes, Simon was there for something else entirely. But the cross interrupted his life and he became a believer And the cross of Jesus Christ changed everything. All right, now I told you the first story. Now let me tell you the second story. Uh, This is not the story of Simon. Uh, It is the story of a man by the name of Barabbas. And Barabbas had lived a very different life than uh, Simon. Simon perhaps was a... uh, just a, uh, a merchant or um, uh, expatriate, expatriate, expatriate <laughs> living outside of Jerusalem in uh, what we know of today as Libya. Uh, he had not gotten involved, as we could seem to know, in any type of political rebellion. Uh, he is there because he's planned to be there. He saved up his money. Seems like a pretty organized guy. It really helps to live in an organized manner. At least that's been my observation. He's an organized guy. He's kind of got his ducks in his row. In a row, he made his plans. He shows up. Uh, his counterpart, uh, Barabbas, is the opposite. Barabbas has lived a life of crime. And if we understand what little history says about him, he was a political uh, 
protester, uh, but not just with a sign. He was a zealot. He fought. He, he would attack uh, Roman citizens and soldiers. Uh, he led rebellion against Rome. And what does Rome do with rebels? Rome crucifies rebels. Uh, and so he has been caught. And if you would have asked him what he would expect as a rebel against Rome, he would have told you to be crucified. It was the sign of Roman dominion and power over provinces. It was what they did to create in people a fear of Roman justice. And so uh, he very much expects that now he has been caught. And now he probably is, uh, if his expectations are met, he's going to die upon the cross. And uh, he's in prison and he is waiting for this judgment to come to him. Now, prisons at the time uh, are open to the elements. What I mean by that is they don't have HVAC, so their houses aren't sealed. Our houses today are sealed. Um, we have double pane windows, probably. Uh, we have weather stripping around our doors. And so when you go in your house and you shut your door, you don't hear a lot that happens outside unless it's pretty loud. Now, imagine that the windows and the doors of your house were open. You would hear everything that happened out on the street, right? because there would be no barrier between. And here is uh, Barabbas sitting in prison and somehow he's close to the, the center of justice because the prison would have been right there by the barracks uh, of the Roman soldiers and they would have been right there at the center of government to protect the interests of Rome. And he can hear, he can hear protests and he perhaps doesn't know what's going on. No one cares if prisoners know the news and uh, he is just hearing protests and uh, perhaps he hears this crucify him, crucify him, and he, he doesn't know what's going on. And he is a prisoner waiting on the cruel hand of justice to catch up with him. Uh, in the beginning, justice waits uh, on the criminal it's trying to catch. But once the criminal is caught, the criminal waits on justice. <laughs> so in the beginning, um, uh, justice chases you, and then you're caught and uh, you wait on justice. And so he's in this waiting stage. He doesn't know what's going on. And then to his surprise, this Roman soldier opens the gate to where they are imprisoned and he points to uh, Barabbas and he gestures Barabbas to come here and Barabbas doesn't know what's going on. He, he does not know if it's his time to die. He's expecting to die soon. Perhaps he's even scheduled to die today because at least two others are scheduled to die today and they both of them were thieves who were crucified on each side of Jesus and uh, here we see Barabbas uh, his life is now fixed once justice uh, gets a hold of us we lose our power to make decisions for ourselves our world gets very very small it gets down to the size of an inside of a prison cell and he has very little choices left and what is my fate and he is brought into this large court area and to his surprise at the center is Pontius Pilate here's Pontius Pilate and on the other side perhaps of Pontius Pilate is this man who is already bloody and already beaten uh, his face is already marked and he already bears in his body the bloody marks of a cat of nine tails with which he has received 40 stripes save one and here is Barabbas he doesn't know 
what's going on. This is an interruption. He doesn't understand. No one scheduled this for him. His secretary didn't get with anybody else's secretary. It is an interruption, more importantly. It is an interruption of the cross. Because what Barabbas is about to learn is that this is a moment of divine mercy. Because when Pilate stands before the crowd, he says it's the custom on this celebration uh, weekend of the Passover. It is the custom for us to release a prisoner to you. In the manner of goodwill and in the manner of building goodwill and good faith between us, we do this. And I want to ask you this question. Who would you rather have? Should I release to you a man of violence, Barabbas? Or should I release to you a man of peace, Jesus? Who will you choose? Will we choose violence we understand or peace that passes all understanding? And the crowd, uh, they, they don't really want a God's solution to their problems. They want their solution to their problems. And so without even having to think about it, they shout as, as, as strongly as they can, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And here's Barabbas. He still doesn't know what's going on. This is divine interruption, breaking into his life and giving him something he doesn't deserve. Here he is. What's going on? He knows he's guilty. He knows he has expected to die by the cross. And instead, grace has come to Barabbas. And the crowd asks for Jesus to be crucified and Barabbas to be given back to them. And in one moment, he who expected to die feels the bonds being taken off of his hands. And the the Roman soldier shoves him toward the crowd and he is free to go. And he doesn't know what to do with himself. And his eyes uh, go to Pontius Pilate. Is this a trick? Is Is something bad about to happen to me? And his eyes go to Jesus. Who are you? who are taking my place. What have I done to get so lucky today that that man is being crucified for my transgression? And what have I done to receive such grace that you are bearing my sin and you're going to die that I am going to live? We are, all of us, interrupted by the cross. I want to show you very quickly, if you'll give me just a couple more minutes or maybe a couple more hours, we'll see how it goes. Um, I want to see you really quickly. I want you to see two things really quickly, uh, and that is this. Uh, In Barabbas and in um, uh, Simon, there is uh, two different realities of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, In Barabbas, you don't have a man who as near as we know, uh, ever becomes a believer. Uh, You don't have a man who uh, becomes notable in the Christian world after this moment. You don't have a man who uh, has children that are blessed by his conversion to a life of faith. You you don't have that. What you have is a a man who receives uh, relief from judgment. He is a man who expects to die and someone else dies in his stead. And this is uh, the goodness of God while we 
were yet sinners. Somebody say amen. amen. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The just for the unjust, that he might lead us to God, that we might be holy through him. We have learned through the law that we cannot keep the law and that we need sacrifice to make up for our failure to keep the law that teaches us a need for redemption. And now we're introduced to the perfect lamb of God who is going to die that we might be made holy and righteous. And then our life, our choices, our efforts are not acts of duty but acts of love. We no longer live right so we can be good enough. That ship has sailed. We live right because we love him. We choose to do our best because we love him. This is why when you fail, it's not over. You weren't doing it to be good enough to be saved. You were doing it as an act of love and worship to God. He was always going to be your righteousness, do you see? And therefore, when the enemy comes and says, you're a sinner, you ought to give up. It's a lie. You ought not to give up. What you ought to do is stand with Peter. And he says, do you love me, Peter? And you say, Lord, you know. Oh, I love you, Peter. All right, Peter, let's try again. Peter, do you love me, Lord? You know I love you. Okay, Peter, if you love me, let's try again. It's not about being good enough for God. It's about loving him and having fellowship and worship because God is seeking worshipers. Uh, so Simon and Barabbas are showing us two interruptions of the cross. In the case of Barabbas, what you are seeing is an individual who receives a work of God that he does not deserve. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in Simon, you are seeing the cross being given to him as a future mission calling and testimony. Simon picks up the cross of Jesus. Barabbas is delivered from the cross of Jesus. We need both of those. Pay attention here for just a moment. We need both of those in our life. We need the cross that saves us and we need the cross we choose. We need the cross that saves us and we need the cross that we choose. Let me say it this way. We've got to become a Barabbas before we ever become a Simon. And if you can't see your need for deliverance, you're never going to see the cross as a mission in your life. Unless you see your need for spiritual cleansing and washing, you're never going to be invited to pick up the cross of Jesus for yourself and carry it as as testimonies that you live in your world. I want you to, if possible, perceive something that is being shown to us here in Luke chapter number 23, and that is this. Both Barabbas and Simon are interrupted by the cross. They are both of them interrupted by uh, the cross. And they both are recipients One of them carries it. The other of them is freed from its judgment. And I am wanting you to see how 
Our journey with Jesus Christ is the same way. First, there is a place of repentance and we are delivered from the oppression of sin. We are delivered from the damnation of sin. And after that is an invitation to walk in the path of Jesus and carry a cross that is a celebration of redemption. You see, everything that happens to you is... Within its surprise, within its perhaps sorrow, within its struggle, there is redemptive testimony that is threaded through it. In other words, let me say it this way. Everything you have survived is more than an accomplishment of your character. It is threaded through with redemptive purpose for you to show your world how Jesus interrupted you and made everything better. You see, suffering in itself is not a testimony. There is plenty of meaningless suffering. You can just drive through uh, downtown Charlotte and you'll see people who are living lives of suffering, but if they are not allowing it to become threaded through with redemptive testimony, what Christ can do with my suffering, they are missing the greater half of it. Whatever you have survived, we are a church full of testimonies. You all of all of you have uh, known life as you have experienced it and all of you have lived through disappointments. You have lived through sufferings. You have lived through sickness. There has been interruptions in your life, but I want you to know it's not enough for you to suffer. There is in that interruption a cross of redemptive purpose and Christ invites you to pick that cross up and carry it as testimony of how God changes everything. Everything can become beautiful in God's time. I know it seems impossible to say that when you're living in the moment of your suffering. I will confess to you that I myself, preacher though I may be, in the middle of my pain, find it impossible in my pain to see far enough to see how God can make that pain beautiful. Uh, Here we see Simon. There can be nothing good about this interruption, right? There can be no future blessing to compensate me for this moment of interruption. Uh, I had this whole trip planned. I had my whole day planned. I had my whole pilgrimage planned. And now I am risking uh, in uh, this, this, this moment of shame, this moment of in some ways being included in this event, I am at risk and I don't see what good can come out of it. Look who's walking beside you when you're carrying that cross, my brother, my sister, you who are suffering and living through pain. Just look at who is walking beside you as you carry that cross and let yourself get interested in the one who paid the debt you could not pay. Don't carry the suffering in your life alone. Don't carry the pain of your life alone. See that Jesus is walking right beside you and see how uh, taking up that cross can change everything in your life. God uses interruptions to get our attention, yes. Not all of them are caused by God. Not all of them are caused by 
the devil. Uh, a lot of suffering is just the nature of being mortals living in a fixed uh, time and place. Around us swirls events that are above our control, and we uh, are faithful through it all. Uh, your genes reflect a certain health profile that you received from your parents, and you will have as a result of that certain uh, health consequences. You can influence them somewhat to the better and somewhat to the worse by how you eat, by how you exercise, about how you manage stress. You have influence, but you do not have control. These things are not caused by the devil. It's just living. Now, the devil's always looking to use them, but this is the difference between possession and oppression. A lot of things in your life the devil did not cause. And so you don't need to give the devil glory by attributing to him power that he does not have. Can I have a bigger amen than that? However, the devil will take advantage of anything that happens to use oppression against you. As believers, we strongly believe that we have a strong man in the temple. You are the temple of the Lord. We have a strong man in the house. And Jesus said, another man cannot enter that house unless he binds that strong man. So don't talk to me about how the devil forced you to do something. No, understand that there is a profile of temptation in your life you will wrestle with. There is a profile of risks in your career that you'll be exposed to. If you work around Saul's, you might cut something off. This is not the devil, but the devil wants to use it. If you spend a lot of time on the road, you might have a car accident. You'll have a higher risk profile. The devil won't cause it, but he will like to use it. And what he wants to do is use the interruptions in your life to make you bitter at God, to make you angry at God, to make you angry at life, to make you angry at the church. And the devil wants to give you this theory of religion. If God is in heaven, then how was my life in? interrupted like this. If God was in control, then how was my health interrupted like this? He wants to use the great interruptions of your life to make you bitter and spiritually isolated and angry and separated from the presence of God. And if you listen to his whispering, he will spiritually oppress you. He will spiritually isolate you. But God wants to do more than that. He wants to use the interruptions of your life for redemptive purpose. No matter what you've done and what mess you're in, uh, you can say, oh God, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you wash me that I could become white as snow? And another in individual will bear the judgment of your transgression. But that's not the end of divine intervention. That's not the end of divine interruption. He wants to present you with an opportunity to use that interruption as a cross of testimony that you carry and you represent before the world and you become a living testimony a living epistle known and read of men. Because the great interruption in your life is not simply that things 
would happen to you, but that things would happen in a manner to reunite you with Almighty God and testify of His healing power in your life. Musicians, come. I'm, I'm almost done. I want to uh, tell you a story. I've told you two stories from the Bible, and I, at the end here, want to tell you a story of hit from history that I think does a great job of illustrating how interruptions in our life can have redemptive purpose. They can become testimonies in their own right. Do you see what I'm saying? These circumstances can become testimonies in their own right. Uh, Many years ago, there was a farmer in Scotland. Uh, His last name was Fleming. And he was known in his community as Farmer uh, Fleming, Farmer Fleming. And one day, while Farmer Fleming was working, he heard cries that seemed to be coming from over where a marsh was, over where a pond and a marsh met. And he, uh, he, he wasn't sure what it was, and he was very busy, and he almost didn't stop working because he was, he was quite busy, and he was behind, and farmers are on a schedule because the seasons, they don't care if you're ready for them. And uh, he, was, he remembered being very busy And he decided just to check to make sure that the cries he heard weren't someone in distress that needed help. And so he heard these cries and he tried to follow them and he walked, you know, over the ridge and down through uh, the beginnings of the marsh and over in the direction of the pond. And as he got closer, uh, he heard cries that definitely were coming from a person and he began to run closer. And as he uh, got near the pond area where it merged with the the, 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 the more, as they would say, uh, he saw a young man who had waded into the water there for whatever reason, fishing or whatever, and he was mired in the clay and he was trapped. Uh, it wasn't quicksand because uh, it wasn't sandy, but even so it had the same compliments of quicksand where the viscosity of the ground underneath was less than the viscosity of the ground on the top and therefore when you're in it it's like quicksand it sucks you down and every time you move you go lower uh farmer fleming immediately ran to get what he needed uh he needed ropes and whatnot and uh needed a way to pull this young man to safety and he did so and uh, out of this mire he drug this young man covered literally head to toe in the clay and the mire and the filth of that moor and uh, he was very very cold from being immersed in the cold water and uh, shivering and uh, at risk and uh, farmer Fleming took this young man as quickly as he could back to his farmhouse they got him out of his wet clothes they set him by the fire they cleaned him up farmer Fleming gave him some of his son's clothes Uh, to wear and uh, they sent the boy on uh, his way once he had eaten and had something warm to drink and was in dry clothes they didn't think much more about it because you know it's the kind of thing they felt like they would do for anyone and a few days later a rather impressive carriage drawn by beautiful horses uh, manned by footmen I I personally think I need a footman in my life. I just can't afford footmen. And on this uh, carriage, there are footmen. And uh, this beautiful gleaming carriage pulls up in front of this uh, small farmhouse. 
the footmen hop down and they open the door to the carriage and they set the footstool where they step out of the carriage. That's why they're called footmen. And uh, out of this carriage, a nobleman steps. Well, whenever a nobleman would visit common folk, uh, it would be... It would be ordinary for them to present their family. They would gather all their family and they would, they would meet the, 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 the nobleman uh, there at the front of their doorstep as a family and they would present their family. Uh, and it was the custom of the time. And this is, you know, many years ago. And the man who got out of the carriage turned out to be the father of the boy that Farmer Fleming had drug out of the mire. And he said, I wanted to come and say thank you for saving my son's life. I, I've heard what you've done. And I heard the, about the predicament my son had gotten himself into. And I, I wanted to come and say thank you for saving my son's life. And Farmer Fleming said, well, I, I, honestly, sir, I, I would have done it for anyone uh, and the nobleman said, look, I know I, 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 I want to repay you somehow. And Farmer Fleming wouldn't take anything. He said, no, this, this, is, just, this is just kindness. I, I would have done this uh, for anyone. Uh, you don't need to reward me for doing what is simply the honorable thing to do. I, I don't need to be rewarded for, for something that is just of a character, a nature of good character. And, and uh, the nobleman is insisting, but Farmer Fleming will not agree. And so finally... The nobleman stands there and he looks at Farmer Fleming's uh, family and they're standing beside Farmer Fleming and his wife is Farmer Fleming's son. And uh, his name is Alexander Fleming. And he says, is this your son? And Farmer Fleming says, yes, this is my son, Alexander. And um, the nobleman says, look, you, you have done for my son what you could do to help him. Would you do me the honor of allowing me to do for your son what I can do to help him? Well, this is a great honor because here is a Lord standing before you. This is the British Empire. Here's a Lord standing before you. And he's saying, let me see how I could help your son. And well, a Lord can usually help your son in a lordly way. This is a great honor. And Farmer Fleming says, we're honored. And his son says, we're honored. And uh, the nobleman says, look, why don't you let your son come live part of the year with me on my estates and in my townhomes in the city? And uh, when I'm in the city uh, as a lord in the parliament, uh, he will be with me there. And if I'm on my estates, he can come there. And uh, let me let me mentor your son. Let me do what I can for your son since you've done what you can for my son. Well, of course, Farmer Fleming, so honored, agrees to this. And this young man, the son of Farmer Fleming, whose name I've already told you, Alexander Fleming, he would grow up to graduate from St. Mary's Medical School in London. And he would be the physician who a few years later would literally change the world by discovering a world-changing medicine that we modern folk take for granted called penicillin. And Alexander Fleming, because of a quite random lab accident, would be responsible for more people being saved in that generation than arguably any other man who was alive. 
Here a nobleman has done what he could to help a commoner's son. And that commoner's son has not had random event. But it is now threaded through into a beautiful story. The author of the book of Ecclesiastes says, God can make all things beautiful in his time. You see? Now watch this. The Lord, the nobleman who adopted Alexander Fleming, uh, was also a man you know. Uh, Lord Randolph Churchill, who was, wait for it, the father of Winston Churchill. So Farmer Fleming just does the honorable thing. Is it an interruption? Yes. It's an interruption, but he's glad to do it. And God threads the interruption through with redemptive purpose. And some people say that at least in some ways Winston Churchill was part of saving the 20th century from some of its darkest actors and politicians shall we say and Lord Churchill deciding he'll do what he can for Alexander Fleming brings into the historical record a doctor who invents a medicine that'll save the lives of millions, literally millions of people. Two acts of interruption. Two acts of not something you would say, oh, that's a good thing. They have hassle to them. They have obligation to them. They are crosses to carry. But if you'll carry this cross, this cross is threaded through with redemptive purpose and God will take every interruption in your life and when he's done, it will be a testimony of divine purpose and divine power. I'm here to tell you and implore you today, stop looking at your interruptions as things to be endured. Start asking yourself, what can God do with what I'm going through right now? I'm preaching to somebody. You are emotionally broken. You don't know how you're going to make it. And I tell you in faith, a day's going to come when you look back and say, I never would have dreamt it, but God made it beautiful. I can't explain it, but God made it beautiful. Let me preach to these beautiful young people here down at the front. I don't know what kind of lives you're going to live. I hope things work out. Uh, I hope everything works out according to your specifications. But if I've learned anything about life, I've learned that there are surprises. And the surprise and the pain and you'll feel like you're ambushed and you won't get into the school you applied for and you won't get the career. I hope you do. But sometimes, you know, a lot of times you have to go through a lot of rejection to get where God wanted you to be. You can't let the rejection make you bitter. It's just part of the process. You'll have to go through breakups with people and you'll think God doesn't love me, but there it's only God trying to get you where you're supposed to be. 
Do you see? You'll have disappointments. You may get sick at times and the enemy will come along and say, see, what you're going through means God doesn't love you because it's a heavy cross to carry. And this cross means God doesn't love you. And that's the lies of hell. That's the lies of hell. If there's anybody watching today and the devil's been whispering in your ear, in your ear that because of this cross, it means God isn't blessing you. And because of this interruption, it means God doesn't love you. And because of this health problem, it means God is not on your side. I'm here to tell you it's a lie from the pit of hell. God makes all things beautiful in his time. Pick up your cross. Stand with me all across the house. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray for every individual here in this house. Lord, I pray that right now we all of us would begin to feel within our spirit a reassurance that the difficulties of our life are not there to keep us down. But the rain falls on the just and the unjust. There's difficulty for everyone. Lord Jesus, let us take the crosses of our life and turn them into a testimony of your healing power. Turn them into a testimony of your transformative authority. Lord Jesus, let us take the disappointments of our life and submit them to you. We are all of us in need of redemption. We are all of us in need of salvation. And we ask you to wash us of our sins. Like Barabbas, we ask for you to pay a debt that we cannot pay. And if there's anyone here today and they have not repented of their sins, I'm praying today that they would repent of their sins. I'm praying they would confess their sins and allow you to pay the debt they cannot pay. In Jesus' name. But having repented, let them see that your work is more than washing from the past. It is mission for the future. It's more than deliverance from the old ways of sin, but it is direction to the new ways of ministry and the new ways of purpose. God, let your spirit flood our lives. Let your anointing move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. We're going to stay here for a little while in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to invite those of you who are comfortable doing so to step out of your chair and come down to the front. Uh, if you'd like, to, there is room down here if you'd like to come. Our pastoral staff will be down here to pray for anyone who needs prayer. If you'd rather stay where you are, that's totally fine. No problem whatsoever. The Lord can touch you where you are just like he can touch you down here. But I want you not to rush away from the presence of God right now. I want you to stand here in the presence of God. Our, our worship team is going to lead us in worship. Our guests and our friends, if, if you want to be dismissed at any time, you're welcome to slip out. We're so glad and thankful and honored that you've joined with us here today. But the Spirit of the Lord is here. And those of you who will allow it, I'd like you to bask in His presence for a little while. Those of you who have a heart for it, I'd like you to lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. If you need healing in your body, I pray you would speak the name of Jesus over that need. I pray you get the attention of one of our pastors here and let them anoint you with oil. Let's believe together for the power of God in this house.
Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.